They can't change course. Seems odd. Yes, it is odd. They're abandoning ship in the middle of the night. They can't stop. Melly PD. Your what? Somebody find the captain. And they can't. The captain is dead. Get off. Speed 2. Cruise control. How do you like your vacation so far? That's not what we meant when we said iron out the flaws with the life vests. I'm Torrin Atkinson. The love... I'm Joe Fulton. I swear this is my last contract. I'm Stephen Schwartz. I'm not a good doctor, but I play one on a cruise ship. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda. cruise ship is a passenger ship used commercially for pleasure cruises. Yes. Okay. Pleasure. Uh, cruise is from the 1650s from Dutch cruisen to cross to sail to and fro. Ah. And ship is from Old English skip, which means ship or boat from Proto-Germanic skipum. Cruise and skip. The only phobia I could find that was somewhat appropriate was thalassophobia, mm. mm-hmm. which means the fear of the sea. Mm-hmm. And if you're on these cruises that we're going to talk about today... Probably pretty rational fear. Uh-oh. Or actually, the sea may end up being a better option than yeah. a cruise ship. <laughs> you, you wouldn't want to be thalassophobic if you're on one of these cruise ships. because That's you're where probably, you have to go. Yeah, to, it's better. To escape the horror. Yeah. This, oh, the horror. In researching this episode, there was so much material that I didn't know where to begin and end. And so I had to get real selective. So I'm sure we're going to be buried with the, I can't believe you didn't talk about dot, dot, dot Facebook posts. So, you know, I mean, there's only so much time And you can also, listeners, go to our website, com, and enter a comment that begins with, I can't believe you didn't talk about dot, dot, dot. <laughs> of course, we've got Stephen Schwartz with us here today. Of course. Stephen Schwartz of Journalism Parts 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Now, Stephen... Uh, the Schwartz is strong with us. You were a journalist. Uh, were you a cruise ship journalist? Is that why you know so much about cruise ships? No, I unfortunately lost my wife almost a decade ago. And I took time off to recuperate, and I decided, like many other uh, First World Nations people, I'm going to run away to cruise ships to run from my pain. And I wound up working on cruise ships in varying positions for five years. So I started off as a cruise staff, you know, the people that you dance with on board and host you and welcome you aboard. That was my first position. So you were either... It's uh, like a Walmart greeter, but for cruise ships? Yes, and you work for the cruise director. Well, like under Julie from the Love Boat? Correct, your entertainment staff. Oh, so you were more like Patrick Swayze from Dirty Dancing. A really bad, fat, bald version of Patrick <laughs> Swayze. Perfect. Okay, so that's how you started. Where did you end up? I ended up being a IT officer, the chief IT officer. So I ran the systems on board the ship. Chief yeah. IT officicer. And how many years did you do that for? Five years. Varying ve- got experience. Varying vessels, varying cruise lines. Now, Stephen, in your capacity on cruise ships in any way, shape, or form, have you ever heard of mal de debarkment syndrome? Or MDDS. Mal de debarkment? Yes, I have, and I've suffered it. Well, then you can tell us all about this rare balance disorder that most often develops following an ocean cruise or other type of water travel or motion experience. MDDS persists for months to years. Whoa. In fact, I read of one account where the woman had continued to suffer for seven straight years from it. 
Common symptoms include a persistent sensation of motion, such as rocking, swaying, and or bobbing. This sensation of motion is often associated with fatigue, difficulty maintaining balance, difficulty concentrating, impaired cognitive function. Other possible symptoms include sensitivity to light, migraine headaches, dizziness, nausea, memory loss, ear pain, anxiety, and depression. So is this something that only happens on cruise ships or primarily happens on cruise ships? On, on any vessel at sea. Okay. It could be a sailboat. It could be a tanker. But it's not just seasickness. No, you don't vomit from it. But when you go to land, it feels like you're still on board a vessel oh, moving. Yes. In fact, people say that they only feel normal again when they're back, back on the boat. Exactly. You don't feel the vessel move. Or, yeah. or you only in feel a, the land move. Yeah. In a moving car will like alleviate symptoms a lot. But then when you're standing still in your house, you will like topple and fall over because your balance is all gone. We got a little short pop quiz okay. regarding malady department syndrome. Oh good. oh, good. Severity is rated on a scale of one to ten. Okay. For whatever reason that I can't discern, they're always they seem to be all grouped in two. So it seems to be the, so one two is one level, three four is another level, five six. So why they didn't just make it out of five, I don't know. But it's out of ten. So which number pairing do you think would be associated with considerable fatigue? Increased loss of concentration and or mental confusion. Bumps into objects when walking. Clumsy in handling objects. May drop things. Six. Uh, three to four. Steven? Seven to eight. Steven nailed it. Oh. Yes! Seven to eight. What, uh, what level would be the floor seems to move when walking, as if walking on a suspension bridge, waterbed, or trampoline. <laughs> Cannot remain standing in or a Or a fix- waterbed slash trampoline. <laughs> Oh, that would have been my favorite thing as a 10-year-old I'd ever heard of. I mean, like, someone must invent this thing. And also this level, this person cannot remain standing in a fixed position with their eyes closed. Whoa. Five. Wait, five, six is the same? Five, six is the same. Three, four. Mm-hmm, Joe? Yeah, I'm going to agree with Torn. Five, six. These two gentlemen have it correct. It's in fact three, four, five, six is difficulty in concentration and mental confusion. Routine tasks become difficult to accomplish, Ugh. requires regular periods of rest, and may stumble when walking. And the most severe requires support for walking and standing, significant mental confusion, impaired ability to speak, Holy shit. must remain in bed most of the day. How many cases do we know? Hundreds. Hundreds of cases. It's very rare. Yeah. It's very rare. But for the number of people that actually get on cruise ships, there are several cases every year. And the longest case known has been? Well, I read one account uh, on a cruisebrews.com. Cruisebrews. And there was one That's first a beer, right? Account. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's a, a, a homebrew that they do actually on a cruise ship, mm. right? Yeah, cruisebrews.com, this one woman told a first-person account where she had been suffering for seven straight years wow. from MDDS. And still ongoing at that point. There is no known cure for malady debarkment syndrome. Some success in managing symptoms has been realized with medications and vestibular rehabilitation, but most medications that work for other forms of dizziness and motion sickness are not effective in treatment or prevention of MDDS. Hmm. And it's impossible to know if you will be a sufferer or not before you get on the boat. It right. just seems to happen at random. They have no idea. And you don't know until you get off the boat. And you don't know until you get off the boat. Wow. Exactly. Mine lasted about two weeks. When I got off the vessel. What was your numerical severity? One, two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really mild. But you felt it. It's a weird feeling Yeah. to be standing on solid ground and going, is this ground rocking? And mm-hmm. at what point did it happen in your career? After three or four days. Oh, okay. And, and it, it lasted instantly. 
for two weeks, and then you went on for five years, and you never suffered from it again? No, every time I go on, I'd suffer from it. And, and it lasts for two weeks, and then, and then you're gone. good. I'm going to point out right here now that I have no intention of talking about the Titanic okay. throughout this whole episode That's because good. it's kind of a been there, done that thing. There's been lots of TV shows and whatever. You can find out all you need to know about that Titanic. If you're coming that. to us for your Titanic information. Yeah. And the Titanic was not a cruise ship. It was a passenger vessel. Very oh, different. Okay. There's one more reason not to talk about it. Cruise ships are a pretty modern invention. Mm-hmm. In the late 60s, early 70s is when it really took off to what we see now is get on board. Space. We're expecting you. Yep. And travel to islands and come back to your home port. In the old days, they used to bring you a crossing from one continent to another. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Now it's just a way to empty your pockets of money. And they would, yeah, those, those crossings, they would just be like, well, rich people are coming. We might as well set up enjoyable things for them to do that we can take their money from them while they're doing this crossing. But... There were, like, pleasure cruises that existed in bygone mm-hmm. eras. Oh, um, Stone Age pleasure cruise? Or Caligula <laughs> cruise lines? Oh, yeah, like uh, uh, the Flintstones, where they all, like, a bunch of feet out of the bottom of a paddling, and that's how they got from place to place, right? But I want to speak uh, specifically. No, you just build your uh, house on top of a whale, your <laughs> cabin or whatever. There you, go. Yeah. you, like, poke it with a stick or something. And he goes, It's a living. This. Yeah, it's a living. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to speak about uh, the steamship sail on June. Spell that for me. S A A L E. Okay. On June 30th, 1900, the steamship sail was at the busy docks of Hoboken, New Jersey, and had just loaded her passengers ready to sail to Southampton, England. It was a windy day, and some cotton on the docks caught fire. The winds quickly fanned the flames, igniting barrels of oil and turpentine, and the fire was almost instantly out of control. Crew and passengers who were on deck jumped into the Hudson River while those. <laughs> Ew. Well, those below decks were trapped as the portholes were too small to escape out oh, of. Oh, the portholes. Steerage passengers mostly drowned when the sail sunk. What's as a steerage passenger? Help, I mostly drowned. That's where you like don't have a cabin or anything. You're just kind of like below the decks. The poorest are steerage. They yeah. go down in the bottom decks and they're crowded. It's like a they, slum down the, the slum yeah, at the bottom yeah. of the yeah. boat. Yeah, you yes. kind of have hammocks and whatnot. It's slum sea dog millionaire. Steerage passengers of the sail mostly drowned when the, when the ship sunk as a result of it being filled with water when they attempted to put out the fire. There were other. Oh, ve- I see. So they're pouring water into the boat and then drowning the passengers. Drowning the passengers oh. on the very bottom level. They were Lesser poor. of two evils, right? They're <laughs> probably masses. rather drown than burn anyway. <laughs> I guess that's true. It's true. It's just we're they doing were- them a favor. <laughs> I guess they they did technically have a choice because they could have just run up the steps into the inferno if they so desired. Yeah, there, uh, there were other vessels in the harbor who could have offered assistance to those who jumped in the water. Yet on at least one occasion, the struggling victim was told to get away from my ship. <laughs> Although the newspapers reported all eighty crew and dock workers who were killed and injured in the fire, not a single word was found in local papers about passengers who had perished in the belly of the ship. Oh, okay, there were three hundred and sixty-one attributed deaths, and legislation that resulted from this tragedy required portholes to be constructed large enough. That an average-sized person could exit them in an emergency. Screw you, fatties. Well, not on Carnival. The average cruise ship passenger today is pretty large. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I guess that's a uh, that's kind of a subjective term. And like, you build these ships twenty years ago, the one, population expands to uh, one uh, size fits most. <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> but the size of portholes will become important in a story I'm going to tell later in the same episode. Okay. Uh, I've got a story about the Manhattan Harbor cruise ship fire. The General Slocum was a sidewheel passenger ship that took harbor excursions around New York City. When was this? June of 1904. We've actually got photos of this uh, of this ship that we can put Ooh, on the website. Daguerreotypes? 
Yeah, no, no, an actual photo of it and and a painting of the events we're ah, about to describe. Okay. So uh, two different things that you can find on the website at causticsodapodcast.com. Yep. Captain by William H. Van Schaik. It employed 21 crew members to look after as many as 4,700 passengers. Whoa, Jesus in Christ. In June of 1904, the ship had been chartered by the St. Mark's Evangelical Lutheran Church with over 1,300 passengers on board, mostly women and children. Oh, they're the best for yeah. cruise ship around the harbor. They love it. Excellent. They this bar- would be barbecue a nicely. Pleasant. Yeah. Well, they're lighter. Yeah, exactly. You use less paddle wheel fuel. Eyewitness reports say a ship fire started in several areas simultaneously, later suspected to be the work of an arsonist. Oh. One location was a paint locker filled with flammable liquids, and another was a cabin filled with gasoline. Oh, why would they think it was arson? When the captain realized his ship was ablaze, he had several opportunities to stop, but instead continued his course. Gotta go faster. Hurry! <laughs> Van, Van Shake would say at trial, so obviously he survived, he was trying to use the wind to blow out the flames. <laughs> this guy doesn't understand how fire works. Which, of course, fanned the flames and accelerated the growth of the fire instead. This is a so, common occurrence with officers on ships in emergencies making yeah. decisions But you like blow this. on matches. Uh, to, oh, I guess that's true. To you blow do blow out. out a match. You, you can blow out a fire, but it takes a lot more wind than you would think when it's a big fire. As, right. as well, the ship's fire hoses were dry rotted and fell apart when the crew attempted oh, to use nice. them to the fire. <laughs> <laughs> just, he, he grabs the end of the hose, runs to the fire, realizes he's just got the end of the hose <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. and no hose. And throws it in. <laughs> hey, if he'd been a real captain, he would have tried to pee it out. <laughs> That's right. The ship did just not drinking and drinking and drinking. Yeah, he probably was drunk. You know, they usually are. Yeah. The ship did not hold fire drills by their crew or with their passengers. Most of the women and children on board could not swim and relied heavily on the life jackets. Okay, well that's good. They had life jackets. The life jackets purchased from were the, made of concrete. <laughs> purchased from the Nonpareil Cork Works Company were defective second grade products. Oh. Uh-huh. They had been filled with granulated cork instead of large solid core pieces. Okay. Oh, they that, had been brought that's... up to proper weight by the inclusion of iron bars inside <laughs> the jackets. Holy shit. <laughs> Okay, and that's... <laughs> like, this sounds like they were actually trying to kill people. Yeah. Like, this isn't even just a fraud or anything like that. Wow. They're They're like... They, it's intense. They created something that would do the exact opposite of what a life jacket is supposed to do. Yeah. 1,019 passengers died while only two crew members perished in the blaze. Oh. Van oh. Shake immediately fled the ship on a nearby tug, leaving passengers to fend for themselves. Uh. <laughs> so long, suckers! <laughs> yeah. That has happened multiple times since. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Have it, fun with your iron life jackets. <laughs> so much for the captain goes down with the ship motif. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know that. Seven people were indicted by a federal grand jury after the disaster. The captain, two inspectors, and the president, secretary, treasurer, and commodore of the Knickerbocker Steamship Company. Oh, I like the name of that steamship company. Van Shake was found guilty on one of the th- one of three charges, failing to maintain proper fire drills and fire extinguishers. The jury could not reach a verdict on the other two counts of manslaughter. He was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment. He only he served only three years in Sing Sing and was pardoned by President Taft. Mm. And I All can right. dig it. Taft. <laughs> Thrown around pardons pretty loosey goosey on a guy that takes down a thousand women and children with yeah. iron laden life jackets. I like yeah. how no one from the life jacket company was arrested or sent to you prison for that. They public, got decorked. Public service announcement. If you pick up your life jacket and it clanks, don't put it on. <laughs> That's right. Test it with magnets first. <laughs> 
Well, it's so much for our fire section. That's yeah. some pretty notable fires. What yeah, about yeah. Uh, collisions and crashes? Uh, I have a big collision I would like to talk about. Canadian Pacific steamships RMS Empress of Ireland was rammed by the Norwegian coal freighter SS Storsad midship during heavy fog in Canada's St. Lawrence River and sunk in 130 feet of water. When did this happen? Uh, this was in 19, May of 1914. Uh, it took the lives of 1,012 passengers and crew in, in May of 1914, making it the deadliest marine time accident in Canadian history and surpassed the number of dead of the Titanic. This, oh, this is a classic example of not getting the press. Hey, yeah. we said we weren't going to talk about the Titanic. <laughs> Guilty as judged. <laughs> The sinking cruise ship had 87 first-class passengers, 36 of whom survived, 253 second-class, 48 survived, 717 third-class, 133 survived. Oh, that's not a high percentage of people. Only four of the 138 children aboard survived. Oh, (laughs) I guess... Women and children first, again, is yeah. not a... Uh, Women and children die first. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. exactly <laughs> Women and children first to be oh, drowned. That's what that meant when they say that in the movies? Yeah. If Hollywood's taught me anything, everybody yells out women and children first when a boat is sinking. I didn't realize they yeah, meant, yeah, yeah. They meant yeah. die first. Throw them in that's to right. fill up the ocean, and then we'll walk across them. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. A- Only you can't count on their life jackets actually keeping them on the surface. <laughs> Compared to these numbers, a, recent, a relatively high percentage of the crew, 248 of 420, survived. Okay. Uh, the collision took place around 2 a.m. when most of the passengers were asleep. That's what happens at 2 a.m. Since the ship had poor ventilation and the weather was mild, it was stuffy aboard and most of the passengers had opened the porthole windows. Oh. Even though regulation of the day prohibited the opening, the opening portholes while ships were underway. Oh, they're rule breakers anyway. They yeah. deserve to die. That's right. Correct or incorrect? Hoisted on their own porthole. After being rammed, the ship listed severely, which allowed water to pour in through these open portholes, which caused the ship to list even more and ultimately sank her in only 14 minutes. Oh, so that's can fast. You, can you imagine you're lying in bed, it's two in the morning, you've been asleep for, uh, let's say, a couple hours, yeah, and all of a sudden you're wet. And uh, you're on your side. That's like every night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's going on? And through the only possible escape hatch, water is shooting in uh-huh. at high pressure. You're you're screwed. You're totally doomed. Uh, due to the severe listing, the crew is unable to unhook all the lifeboats with only four lifeboats, lifeboats being successfully launched. There, there were a thousand and something people on there. You could fit 250 people per lifeboat, right? Four <laughs> boats is enough? I'm pretty sure. I'm no mathematician. Well, if you stack them up. How many people fit in a lifeboat, Stephen? Depends on today's lifeboats. You can fit as many as 140 people. Mm. Oh, Some well, then that's still that's not enough. Well, that's something if, that's called, if everyone hugs. <laughs> there was something created called SOLAS, the safety of life of sea uh-huh. laws, mm-hmm. that now pertain to how many lifeboats, how much they're going to have, how much rescue equipment, and the emergency duties of everybody on board that works there. And they're strictly enforced, unless you're a Casa Concordia captain. Uh-huh. So a little bit of a note here. Uh, CPS sued and got a judgment of $2 million against the owners of the Storstad. And they the, those owners handed the Storstad over to them as part of their payment. It was then sold for $175,000 and, and they placed the proceeds into a trust fund for victims. So let me get this straight. A thousand dead passengers, yep. $175,000 settlement yep. for, for trust fund for yep. victims. Yep. So divide that by a thousand, that's $175 each. Right. But in, that was uh, in 1914. 19- yeah. Oh, well, you could, you could have bought the Chrysler building for $175 in 1914. That is the equivalent of $4,018 in today's uh, American dollars. Bonanza. Yep. So, you got gold in them, Nar Hills. 
sorry, your family member or friend is dead. Here's $4,000. Well, that's minus the administration fee. Of course. <laughs> yeah, and the lawyer's fees. <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's a ship that was, in, that was called the SS Eastland. It was a passenger ship based in Chicago and used for tours, commissioned in 1902. Following its construction, the Eastland was discovered to have massive design flaws, making it susceptible to listing top-heavy along with a high center of gravity. Okay. On July 24th, 1915, the Eastland was chartered to take employees from the Western Electric Company's Hawthorne Works in Cicero, Illinois, to a picnic in Michigan City, Indiana. In 1915, the new Federal Siemens Act had passed because of the Titanic <laughs> disaster. <laughs> And this law required retrofitting of a complete set of lifeboats on the Eastland. Ironically, this additional weight probably worsened the already severe problem of being top-heavy and made the Eastland even more dangerous. Passengers began boarding the Eastland around 6.30 a.m., and by 7.10, the ship had reached its capacity of 2,572 passengers. Okay, so it's full. With many of the passengers on the open upper decks, it began to list slightly to the port side, away oh. from the wharf. The crew attempted to stabilize the ship by admitting water to its ballast tanks, but to little avail. It sounds like a fun game. You just go from one side of the ship to the other and make it rock back and Whoa. forth. Oh, 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 wait. Whoa. Okay, okay. Uh, sometime in the next 15 minutes, a number of passengers rushed to the opposite side of the boat. I like to right. believe that number was three. Like, Look, a seal. Everybody runs to that side. And at 7.28, the Eastland lurched sharply and rolled completely onto its side, coming to rest on the river bottom only 20 feet below the surface. Oh, okay. Well, that, well. Hundreds were trapped inside. Many were crushed by heavy furniture, including pianos, bookcases, and tables. And Although, anvils. Lots of anvils. <laughs> presumably. Uh, if... Uh, <laughs> If Hanna-Barbera has taught me anything, uh, that's The anvils case. were in the life jackets, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> Although the ship was only 20 feet from the wharf, a total of 844 passengers and four crew members died in the accident. Writer Jack Woodford witnessed the disaster and gave a first-hand account to the Herald Examiner, a Chicago newspaper. In his autobiography, Woodford writes... Oh, oh what, what voice is he going to do? Oh, I don't know. What kind of voice should I do? For Bane, a guy in Chicago... Bane. Do Bane. I don't even know if I can do Bane. Sure, I'm going to do one. Newsboy. Okay. As I watched in disoriented stupefaction, a steamer large as an ocean liner slowly turned over on its side as though it were a whale going to take a nap. <laughs> I didn't believe a huge steamer had done this before my eyes lashed to a dock in perfectly calm water. Uh -huh. In excellent weather with no explosion, no fire, nothing. I thought I'd gone crazy. <laughs> I left a big steamer earlier and it rolled over. Oh, <laughs> yeah. My steamers are always rolling over. A grand you jury. Guys watch it roll over. Oh yeah, <laughs> sit there for hours waiting. <laughs> Did you say you shit there for hours? <laughs> a grand jury indicted the president and three other officers of the steamship company for manslaughter and the ship's captain and engineer for criminal carelessness. However, the court refused to continue with proceedings, holding the evidence was too weak and with barely a scintilla of proof. That's in quotes oh, to establish probable cause to find the six guilty. The court reasoned that the Eastland was was operated for years and carried thousands safely, and that for this reason, no one could say that the accused parties were unjustified in believing the ship seaworthy. So it must have been an act of God then. <laughs> well, an act of a bunch of people running from one side of a boat to another. You would hope that a uh, passenger ship wouldn't be able to tip over mm -hmm. by the sheer weight of its passengers. Think the, that. It seems to me that the guilt kind of lies with whatever engineer was in charge of adding in the retrofitted lifeboats. Because there's some math he had to do. 
Yes. No, absolutely. And probably didn't. Somebody just didn't carry a zero or something is what yeah. you're thinking? Yeah. Wait, if you carry a zero, what happens? Nothing. No, like from the end of a, of a number, instead of like being 250,000 pounds that will cause the list, 25,000 Oh, I thought you meant physically carry a zero, which oh. weighs nothing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm carrying a zero right now. Yeah, exactly. Of course, if you got the zero from that uh, life jacket company, it's stuffed with iron rods. And oh, weighs that a kind lot of a zero. <laughs> I worked on a vessel that they wanted to stretch 75 feet. And while we were crossing the Atlantic to go to Norway, they already started cutting her apart as we were crossing the Atlantic. So all the non-structural steel was being cut as we crossed. We get to Norway, we get in dry dock, they cut her in half, they shove a 78-foot section into her, weld her back together. 28 days later, we're at sea crossing back over. Wow. Wow, nutty. That's insane. And we had an engine room fire. And we bobbed in the North Atlantic for about eight hours. That's the part of the story where human-to-human interaction okay. is sort of, uh, you know, now Less about the, the boat, more about the people? Less about the boat, more about the people. Uh, murder, disappearances, suicides, jumping overboard. There are a lot of stories of suicides. And, like, and now that there's cameras on all sorts of cruise ships, like, monitoring different sections, they'll have somebody, they'll go, oh, that person disappeared. They'll go to the footage, and they'll see them jump overboard, like, eight hours earlier in the middle of the night, and they've just been sailing without them for, like, a, a, a good night's sleep. If somebody falls overboard, imagine trying to find a coconut. Floating. And floating at sea. By the time the ship stops and turns around or launches its fast rescue craft, yeah, you got to find just a coconut floating in a bobbing dark Why, sea. Why, because the that... sharks bit off the rest of their body? Because that's all it looks like from that distance. Oh, I mean, right. It's just a furry coconut head just floating mm-hmm. at sea. It seems to be this is a, um, a very effective way of successfully completing a suicide. And you get to party and eat and drink and dance beforehand. Oh, yeah. You could totally hit that buffet with no like regret about like what oh, you're yeah. going to look like a week from now. And oh, you can yeah. hit the bar, build up your tab, lose money in gambling, and not worry about paying your bill at the end of the cruise. Uh, oh, sounds like But they probably will charge your credit card anyway. Now, I'm, I'm going to leave the credit card companies alone. Don't call in my debt. <laughs> <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't mention briefly uh, murders and disappearances. I've got a couple of notable ones of those I'd like to talk about. Eileen Gay Gibson, October 1947, traveling on a ship called the Durban Castle, which sailed from South Africa to England in October of 1947. The service bell in the cabin of this London-based actress had rung repeatedly, even frantically by some accounts. When crew member Frederick Steer responded to the urgent call at 2.58 a.m., Miss Gibson didn't respond, so he opened the door a crack and saw ship steward James Cam inside. Cam dismissed him, and Steer assumed that Cam had answered Miss Gibson's call and left. Don't worry, I got it. When the actress never reappeared, Cam instantly fell under suspicion as he wore long-sleeve shirts in spite of the hot, humid weather. Mm. The ship's captain ordered the steward... Can't trust guys with long-sleeve shirts. (laughs) It's true. That is true. Look around the room. He's covering up his Yakuza tattoos. (laughs) The ship's captain ordered the steward to submit to a medical examination. It was discovered that he had numerous scratch marks on his arms, and in fact, the ship's doctor himself testified, in his opinion, the scratches had been made by a woman defending herself. Maybe he had a new kitten. (laughs) <laughs> on a cruise ship that nobody ever saw. It's 47. Cam was subsequently arrested. Fellow shipmates nicknamed James Can Don Jimmy in reference to his reputation as a womanizer who would brag that he nailed a female passenger every day of every cruise. Wow. Rumors had it that the trysts were not always with willing participants, as several women testified at his murder trial that they had been raped by Cam while aboard the ship on various voyages. 
One woman said that she'd been attacked on deck by Cam, who dragged her into a tool room where she fought desperately as he tried to strip her clothes off. He lost patience and strangled her where she passed out. And when she regained consciousness, she said that Cam was standing over her grinning. What a creep. Ah, uh, no, good guy. Guy you wanted a cruise ship. No, it's a creep. He had to teach a shuffleboard and, uh, no, you Jimmy's know, a creep. And how to gamble and whatnot. How did this happen multiple times and him still work there? Good question. I Back mean, then, they probably didn't care too much if you slept with passengers. Today, we call it coning. Coning? Coning. We call passengers cones. Why do you call passengers cones? Uh, remember the coneheads? Yes. Uh-huh. Consume mass quantities. Oh, okay. All passengers do is uh, eat. Mass and drink okay. and eat and drink. Okay. So sleeping with a passenger is coning. Oh, <laughs> all right. Okay. Oh, that's a, and you'll that's be not fired a... instantly. Stains on the pillow in uh, Miss Gibson's cabin were examined and determined to be blood stains. The doctor stated these stains, along with emissions of urine found, which could be expected from one who'd been strangled to death, I see. proved that Miss Gibson had not died from either a seizure or heart attack. Cam stated in his trial that he was lured into Miss Gibson's cabin for the purposes of a sexual liaison, and he was seduced by her. In fact, Cam admitted to pushing Gibson through the cabin's porthole and into the sea. Now that's seduction. She probably would have preferred we had the smaller portholes instead of the ones that have been expanded by law. He claimed that while having sex with her, she died, and it was only her dead body that was shoved through the tiny porthole, not a live actress. Why did he think this was a good defense? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure why he thought that he could just say, listen, we were having sex, she died, so I disposed of her body out of a porthole. (laughs) No harm, no foul. She was already halfway through it anyway. Yeah, precisely. After 45 minutes of deliberation, so not a terribly long time in jury deliberation standards, the jury found him guilty of murder and sentenced him to be hanged. However, due to a legal loophole, his sentence was commuted to life in prison where he was paroled 12 years later in 1959. He changed his name to James Clark and was working as a head waiter in 1967 when he was convicted of sexually attacking a 13-year-old girl. He later went to Scotland, where he worked once more as a head waiter in a restaurant, and a short time later he was charged with sexual misconduct with three schoolgirls. What a creep. This time his parole was finally revoked and he was returned to prison to serve out the rest of his life term. I had hoped that he was going to get keelhauled. Oh, if only we still had pirates. Keelhauling on a cruise ship would take a long time, I would imagine. Especially, like, the big new ones. That would yeah. take a long time. <laughs> uh-huh. Good. George Allen Smith IV, 26 years old, and his new wife, Jennifer Hagel Smith, were on their honeymoon aboard the Royal Caribbean cruise line Brilliance of the Seas. When was this? 2005. Uh, when he went missing somewhere between Turkey and Greece. George Allen Smith and his wife were in the casino most of the night. Walter Zalisco, a police officer who was also a passenger aboard, says George was openly stating he had $50,000 in cash with him that he had gotten his wedding gift. Several other passengers reported that George's wife were so intoxicated they could barely stand. Witnesses reported hearing George call his wife a hussy and saw her swiftly kick him in the groin. So I guess not all things were, uh, were fine between the husband and wife on their honeymoon trip. Apparently, money does not buy happiness. After the altercation, George was helped back to his cabin by two Russian brothers, a third Russian man, as well as a man named Josh Askin, who was aboard to celebrate his parents' 25th wedding anniversary. Here's a timeline the authorities have pieced together of the events of that evening. Okay, okay. 4.02 a.m., Josh Askin uses the restroom in George's cabin while the Russians tuck George into bed. Ooh. 4.20 a.m., the passengers in the cabin next door hear the sound of a horrific thud so loud that it reverberated through their cabin. 4.30, ship's security responds to a noise complaint made just after 4 a.m. They walk away without further investigation because all in the cabin now seems quiet. 
4.30, the three Russian men say they are back in their own cabin and order a huge amount of food from room service, which is delivered about 4.45. The group was so impressed with the amount of food that came that they took photos of it. Okay. Right. Perhaps to establish where they were yeah. at a certain time. I'll in the take one of everything. Uh-huh. The post-homicide banquet. <laughs> 4.30 a.m., Mrs. Smith is found sleeping on a floor in the hallway on the other side of the ship, five doors down from Josh Askin's cabin. She's unable to make it back to her own cabin. Ship personnel remain with her while two crew members go to her cabin to find her husband, but find the cabin empty. 4.47, a wheelchair is brought and takes Jennifer back to her own cabin. George is not there, and ship staff do not notice any blood. 8.30 a.m., Emily Rausch, a teenager and her mother, report what appears to be a bloody stain several feet long in the metal cavity, <laughs> on the metal canopy over the lifeboats and below the passenger balconies. A tally of passengers is done, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith are found missing. Both of them. Well, Mrs. Smith is at a couple's massage. Oh, I see. The male witnesses, the three Russian men and Mr. Askin, are interrogated by Turkish police. According to Royal Caribbean's official statement, the Turkish authorities refused their explicit request that the interviews take place on the ship. No one is arrested or detained in Turkey. In fact, the three Russian men aren't forced off the ship until they arrive in Italy after they are accused of raping a woman. Uh, the ship's captain is quoted this time as saying that he figured George pushed a chair up to the balcony, sat on the railing, and then accidentally fell overboard. Mm-hmm. In 2006, a lawsuit was filed by the Smith family, which says the cruise line deliberately and intentionally portrayed the incident as an accident and hampered a full-blown investigation of the facts and circumstances of his disappearance. According to the lawsuit, Royal Caribbean delayed reporting the incident to the FBI and instead reported the case to the Turkish authorities, knowing that they wouldn't conduct a prompt and thorough investigation. A settlement was reached with George Smith's widow for $1.08 million. So the thud, is that is that guy getting hit in the head with the pipe? The thud I was think, hit, or him hitting, hitting the lifeboat. Him below. hitting the lifeboat. Yeah. Oh. I think it's it's the body hitting the cabinet and caroming into the sea. We don't know what happened. It's the, What the captain said might have happened. It might be the drunk guy got out of his bed. Uh-huh. And put a chair on the thing and then fell overboard, killed himself and fell in the water. Like, I'll tell you what the smoking gun is for me, yeah. from an outside observer. Was it the smoking gun? No, it's the photos of the food. It's the photos of the smoking food. I have a couple of friends who worked on that vessel during that cruise. Ah. Oh, wow. During, Insiders During take. this uh, event. Uh-huh. Some of the arguments what Royal Caribbean says about the Turkish police were bullshit. Royal Caribbean did not want anybody interviewed on land because they wanted the control of the crime scene. Right. Right. Or possible crime scene, where they say it was an accident Alleged scene. crime scene. Mm-hmm. It didn't take long for them to totally refurbish the room and clean everything up, wiping the evidence right after this event, after they left Turkish waters. Mm-hmm. Well, it's bad. Murders are bad for business, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Unless you're a hitman. Then, then they're, they're good for really business. They're really good for business. Yeah. A lot of people and people I know and worked with on the ship will say that Royal Caribbean was complicit in covering this up and not yeah. reporting it. Uh, when the FBI boarded, the ship was already cleaned. They couldn't get much physical evidence out of the cabin where the incident took place. Well, this is one of the things that kind of comes up over and over and over again in these stories is that cruise ships create a jurisdictional problem because mm-hmm. they're kind of out in a lot of the time they're out in international water. And then the boat is registered to some other country, but it sails it's like registered to the Bahamas, but sails out of the U.S. And then the crime happens in Turkey and then or the crime happens in international water, but they next dock in Turkey. So, like, who's in charge of figuring out what happened? And mm-hmm. a lot of times these things seem to fall through the cracks in the investigation part of the process. Isn't there some kind of special task cruise ship task force? <laughs> There's a, they're called flags of convenience, uh-huh. the cruise lines and, and shipping companies use. They will flag their vessel. 
in a country that may have more lenient maritime employment and pay rules, mm-hmm. yeah. less taxes. Which all makes sense from a business perspective. Right. But it makes it very difficult for you to call the police when something bad happens, because which police do you call? If it happens in international waters, technically they have to be tried in the country of the flag of convenience. Right. If they're in a port, then... That's the that country that has jurisdiction. Jurisdiction. But some, the FBI gets involved in some of these cases, too, when they don't seem to have a real solid jurisdictional... And, and because, because they're American passengers. American passengers. Right. passengers yeah. So when an American is involved, then all of a sudden the FBI swoops in and kind of reigns all over everybody else's parade. Also, the vessel started in the States. Mm-hmm. The companies are American-owned. Yeah. Like Royal Caribbean's owned and operated out of Miami. Carnival Corporation is Miami. So the FBI investigates it because they're American corporations. So what you're saying is don't become a victim on a cruise ship. No, go on a cruise, but understand bad things happen like anywhere else. Prostitution rings and human trafficking and all the rest of that stuff. Like Cruise lines look for their non, a lot of their non-professional and professional staff from economically challenged nations, the Philippines being a large one, mm-hmm. India and Pakistan, Thailand, Romania. Mm-hmm. So these young people, sometimes middle-aged people, come on board. Well, they want to make a little extra money. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're turned out by other crew members who are running a prostitution ring. Oh, so they start out as a crew member and then become a prostitute? Their side job is hey, a prostitute. Hey, you want to make some money? This nice rich guy really uh, would like some company tonight. Sometimes some of the housekeepers will offer sexual services for money. Right. So when they say turn down, it might mean turn on? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, right. Both. Turn right. and on. There's a long history on board when you come on, you hear terms like fixing, to fix somebody. To so fix if, somebody. So if somebody. That sounds like if, you're if killing somebody. The crews are divided. You have staff, officers, and crew. Officers okay. are the highest part of the anar- hierarchy. Hierarchy. Staff is the middle. They usually don't wear stripes. They're not officers, but they they're allowed in passenger areas when they're off. And they have middle management. A lot of guest interaction. And you have crew, which the crew tends to do all the cooking, cleaning, bartending. They're not allowed right. in passenger areas when they're not working. Stoking the engines with coal. Cleaning so the I'm ship. not sure about the difference between staff and crew. Well, staff, staff is are like, like crew staff. They work in the shop. They work in the spa. They're all the main characters from the love boat. Okay. They're the ones that interact with passengers. Mm-hmm. Okay. The crew are supposed to be invisible, right? Like they're they do their job. And, the yeah. That's yeah. why they wear those black suits, like moment shots or That's whatever. That's right. <laughs> they should. A lot of cruise lines, they hire their crew on a pretty narrow nationality. Like Royal Caribbean tends to have a lot of Filipino crew, mm-hmm. and they protect their own. It becomes almost like conspiracy like, of silence. It's like prison culture. You yeah. have like you have white supremacists. And you, have, it's, you don't have white supremacists in the ships, but it's that kind of. Let's <laughs> so say we're blowing the lid off white. Hey, supremacy. you might have one or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's that kind of balance. So if mm. let's say a Russian beats up a Filipino girl crew right. member, the Filipinos will do things. To or them. whatever nationality will do things, not just things to Filipinos. Not just trying no, to just insinuate anything here. Group yeah. A, just group an example. B. Group A, Group B. So somebody from Group B. Assault somebody from Group A. Group A is the primary. They will do things like cut your electric off in your room. Right. For four or five days so you have no air conditioning in the Caribbean. That's nice. Mm. Right. Putting steel balls in the overhead so they roll back and forth. Oh, you can't sleep. <laughs> turning off your toilet. And on some occasions, possibly overboard. Right. So mm. vigilante justice is alive and well in the cruise ship world. Rumored to be. All right. I mean, I, it's rumored to be enough, and I've heard and seen enough that I... Where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, where there's smoke, there's fire. Well, I have a story about a woman uh, from Washington, D.C., who was sailing aboard Carnival Cruise Line's Carnival Valor uh, in 2008, and she alleges she was raped by two men who were, un- who were employed as musicians aboard the cruise ship. 
The victim says she doesn't remember the sex act, but awoke after the telephone rang in the man's cabin to find herself naked with both men standing naked near her, one of them positioned so that his penis was only a foot away from her face. The victim says she'd been drinking prior to the attack, but didn't consent to the sex. She believes she was drugged and then raped while she was unconscious. One of the men claims the victim asked him to make love to her numerous times and the contact was consensual. The other man denied any physical contact with the victim, although he was standing next to her naked. So it's kind of odd to get naked next to a woman. And then, oh, it's just so hot. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Just uh, you know, the air con. He was posing for her art class. Ah, I see, of course. Oh, Draw yeah. me yeah. like one of your French cabin stewards. Char- she woke up with a piece of charcoal in her hand and an easel. Uh, after leaving the cabin, she went to the medical clinic aboard seeking emergency contraception, but no blood or urine tests were administered, and she didn't have a rape kit done. Days later, the FBI tested her hair for drugs, which showed no drugs in her body. However, at that late testing uh, date, rape drugs would not necessarily present positively. Uh, the f- part I found interesting about this more is more than just a uh, story of the kinds of things that go on on these ships was that one of the musicians was actually terminated for admitting to having sex with a passenger who was unconscious, which is against Carnival Cruise Line's policy. Uh, can't have sex with any passenger. Yeah. <laughs> for reasons like so being they- accused of rape when you didn't. Ah, okay. Cruise lines are very, very wealthy companies. Oh, and, and there's a lot of PR involved. Like, they're obviously yeah. very intensely worried about the image that your cruise line puts out there. Mm-hmm. Crew members will be fired and sent away before authorities are called. And a lot of them go back to another country, and the company says, we can't, con-, you know, the police want to investigate. Where are they? Oh, Somewhere else. We don't know. Wow. A friend of mine claimed that she was sexually assaulted by a engineer on board. They didn't believe her. Mm-hmm. Well, They I mean, fired her, kept him, and then made her name Dirt to get work at any other cruise line. What is the benefit to the cruise line in doing it that way instead of believing her, firing the guy, and getting him convicted? I guess it is. A, is that then you have a convicted rapist as a former employee, and that's bad for business. A ship's engineer is a lot more valuable than a crew staff member, which they can hire thousands of. So you, it's hard to find ship's engineers, easy to find Julie, the cruise director. Correct. On board, the, on board the vessel, the law of the vessel is, it's the staff captain that does all the discipline. You have the captain of the vessel, who's the master of the vessel. Uh-huh. Right below him is a staff captain. And he's called that because he carries a staff and hits people that need disciplining? I had one used to throw darts at me in the officer's bar, but that's a different story altogether. <laughs> you had an officer throw darts at you. Oh, yeah, all the time. Just because he didn't like you or he thought no. that it was going to motivate you? He was a friend, just drunk. Ah. Oh, and nice. that, that's my next thing. So plus, you're, plus you were wearing that bullseye costume. So the crew parties. Here's my, here's my pro tip. If you're going to cruise. It doesn't matter what he was wearing. He was not asking for it. Oh, all right. <laughs> no means no. That's right. If you're on a cruise, and I recommend going on cruises. They're fun. They're a great way to taste places that you may want to visit again. Pray there isn't an accident in the middle of the night after 11 p.m. Because half the crew is intolerably drunk. Right. The crew bars and officers' bars, the drinks are like a dollar apiece. Should you just stay asleep in the bar if you can? There's (laughs) nothing else to do for crew, really, at night but drink. Yeah, you can't go to the places that are fun because that's for all of the passengers. Well, even, even if you can, you still all you do is drink. Okay. Nah. Yeah. I got off my first contract and my doctor told me my liver was enlarged. Or... The cruise line is fattening you up for foie gras purposes. They could oh, be doing was that. the rest of your body also enlarged? <laughs> a couple times. Okay. <laughs> uh, they have rules against drunkenness. It's in, the, it's in the manual. Like, you can't have over on a certain level of blood alcohol content. And they constantly check. Some cruise lines check more than others. Okay. American cruise ships, like there's only one American flag cruise ship. Crew can't drink on board during their contract. Wow. Right. But these other ships, 
Wild Wild West. And every crew member has an emergency duty. Right. right. That, in an emergency, you need to do X, Y, and Z. On, you have an emergency duty card, and that's where you go. If, the, if, if you either go to muster station or abandoned ship, that's your job to do. And if you're intoxicated, you still have to do that job. Well, for the guy whose emergency duty is to continue drinking, he's already set. He's good. <laughs> right? He's good to you're go. You're in charge of safeguarding the alcohol. No, in charge of consuming all the alcohol so it doesn't become a flame problem. Oh, that's become right. A flammable and these issue. crew parties are insane. The drinks are free. Well, like a I, lot of business uh, Christmas parties. There stuff. are well, videos on YouTube. And you're going to go, that's the crew. I've seen crew members who say, I'm not going to party. I'm going to stay in my cabin all the time. And they wind up going insane. Right, right. Because it's like being in solitary confinement in prison. We've drawn like three analogies between cruise ships and prisons so far in this episode. Is this an apt analogy? It's a very apt analogy. Okay. You're sentenced to a contract length, four months, six months, some crew, 13 months at sea. And you're thrown into an environment where you don't necessarily like people, and alpha dogs kind of like get away with whatever they want to do, and uh, you're in international waters. There's, There's politics on board. Uh-huh. In the disease. Uh. <laughs> the first vessel I signed on, when you go on, you have to give your medical forms to the doctor on board. She was really that nice. Like, that sounds like you know, normal things to do when you go on board a ship. Friendly offered me some friendly advice. Do not sleep with any crew members on this vessel. I have seen STDs here I have only read about in books. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, she could have, like, set up a study. She probably could have gotten a grant or something. And we were going to start talking about pooping on board, shitty ships, and poop yeah. everywhere. Uh, we have a term we call code brown. <laughs> when yeah. there is a when do you use poop that outbreak. When there is a major poop outbreak. Like, what causes a poop outbreak? Explain, just describe in detail a poop outbreak. <laughs> code brown, code brown! <laughs> it is a infection, bacteria, that's spread through unsanitary toilet habits. Right, okay. uh-huh. And they can take over a ship pretty quickly because everybody touches everything. And you're all in close proximity. All the things that create this whole, like, weirdo clique culture that we were just talking about also would, by 
it's, proximity. It's, a, it's your own little biodome. Yeah. They're, they're bright and shiny Petri dishes at sea. Oh, right. Uh-huh. Now, people will always say it's the crew. It's not necessarily a crew. It's anybody who doesn't wash their hands after they poop and then possibly goes to the all-you-can-eat buffet. Yeah. There's no sneeze guard for shitty-fingered hands. It's not necessarily the crew, crew. It but it's, the, not, it's not necessarily not the, the crew, crew either. It can be both. Yeah. But it can, it can take a ship out, and they will lock you in your cabin. Like, you are kept in your cabin. You go nowhere. People come. Like, if you're a crew member... It's like prison. They slide food under your door. They come and like, if you've got the oh, code yeah. brown. If you've got the code brown. Yeah, I mean, well, you. I hear on the news. It, it always seems to be like every other year. There's some news story about you know this this ship that they like you know some ports won't even let them in because they've had some ridiculous outbreak. Now, what what is it? What is the bacteria? What's the name of it that, that we're talking about? Norwalk virus. Yeah. Okay. Norovirus. All right. I've got some information on this. Nothing can ruin a vacation like a bout of vomiting, diarrhea, and stomach cramps. Noroviruses have become notorious for sending hundreds of cruise ship passengers at a time running for their respective bathrooms and for steering entire ships back to port early. It's, it's a flu, basically. Flu-like symptoms. Like, you, Is it food poisoning? Is that what it is? It's not technically food poisoning. It's a virus. Right, okay. It's much it's, poopier than the flu. It's like a really poopy, pukey f- flu. In the 2010 season, there were 14 outbreaks and 2,800-plus reported cases. In 2011, there were 14 outbreaks and over 1,400 reported cases, so going down. Okay, that's good. Then 2012, 17 outbreaks and with over 3,100 passengers and crew combined as the worst year for uh, since 2006, when nearly 5,000 cases of norovirus, norovirus were reported. Half of the 2012 outbreaks were attributed to princess cruises, but another trend was also spotted. It didn't matter which cruise line was sailing out of Port Everglades, Florida. The- they were loading up sick passengers and infecting others, sailing after sailing. Clearly, the port city residents were continually bringing the virus aboard and paying customers suffered the consequences. So hold on a sec. So, okay, so you've got a ship that has the virus on it. It rolls into Port Everglade. They load that ship up with healthy passengers. They all get it, and then they roll out? No. What no. happens is Port Everglades, everyone flies in. They stay at a hotel for a night or two before they board the ship. They're probably getting infected in the hotel mm. and then coming on and cross-infecting the ship. Mm. Oh, so Port Everglades is actually infected, not necessarily the ships. Correct. Right. So you got a ship starts in the Bahamas, comes to Port Everglades, and then it leaves. Well, they don't start in the Bahamas. They start at Port Everglades. That's their turnaround port. Yeah, but like, say they're in the Bahamas when this thing hits in Port Everglades. Then they come in. Then they get infected. and becomes this kind of like downward poopy spiral. And people who may be infected but not sick yet? may stand on the night in the hotel before they fly home when they leave the ship, thus infecting the hotel again. Right. Right. Yeah, okay, so stay out of Port Everglades. I've never even heard of it before. It's a large cruise ship port. Oh, well. South Florida by Miami. Then I have another unrelated story. In 1997, Elizabeth Carlisle, 14, was on Carnival Cruise Line's Ecstasy with her family when she suddenly became ill with severe abdominal pain. So she wasn't ecstatic at that moment? Not on the ecstasy. I worked on the ecstasy. Oh, yeah. Would it live mm, up to its name? Not really. You know, you start to hear all these stories, and I start to come to the conclusion that the names of these ships might be ironic. Mm. Yeah, we, they're, they're like they're being named by hipsters. We right? had nicknames for the Royal Caribbean ships, like it was the Grandeur with STDs and the Grandeur with fleas. Are they? Uh, wait, are they the all grandeur the grandeur of disease? Are they, they're all the grandeur of something. Well, Royal Caribbean's of the seas. Everything's of the seas. Right. Okay. So the ship's physician diagnosed the girl with the flu. 
Okay, that sounds harmless enough. Her pain grew worse with the family until the family felt it was best to fly home, and she was diagnosed with appendicitis. Her appendix had ruptured, and it was removed. Ah, uh, that's more serious than the flu. Lack of immediate medical attention to this serious condition resulted in Elizabeth becoming permanently sterilized. Uh, the cruise line had stated that the doctor was an independent contractor, not a cruise line employee. Though he wore the ship's officer uniform and was paid a salary of over $1,000 per week, the cruise line maintains that the ship's doctor does not work for the cruise line, and therefore the cruise line is not liable for any malpractice. All the staff are contracted employees. Right. Everybody's basically a contract. You sign a contract for that four months, six months, you're contracted. You're a freelancer. It's the ship's officers and the hotel senior officers that are employees. Right. Loosely. Some of the other ones are loosely employees, but they're all contracted. And that's a way they can get out of and it. And this right. is harkening back to your earlier comment about they flag the ship in a country that, my, that always, lacks our employment regulations and whatnot. My question with ship doctors are always like, why would you want to come here? What are you running from? Right. What are you running from? They always <laughs> yeah. have to be running yeah. from Well, you're something? a doctor. Right? You're, you're a doctor. You can make you know, a great living. Well, hold on a second. These ships go in a circle, right? It's not like you get you get on the ship and then you end up somewhere else and you never have to go back to where you came from, is it? Well, you do have to go back, but it's it's kind of an escapism. Okay. So maybe it's a bad divorce. You know, a place burnt, where you're you, burnt out. Or you owe some beefy men a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Or you're a raging alcoholic and your hospital fires you, so you go to work on cruise ships. Ah, where your raging alcoholism is allowed to run rampant. Correct. How much? Wait, how much did the ship's doctor get paid? $1,000 a week. That's more than that. Uh, that's what it says in the notes that you made, it, Kevin. This, uh, this specific case, this specific oh, doctor. This specific doctor. So again, that, why are you only making $1,000 a week, yeah, that's doctor? Not a, that's not a lot of money for a doctor. No. Yeah. But I guess on top of that, they, you know, they feed him and he's got a place to stay. So he has like no expenses while he's there. So I, perks. I had an amazing experience with a doctor. I had kidney stones on a ship. We had sailed out of Ooh. Chile. We were already too far out at sea for them to medically evacuate me. We stopped in Pepeque. He didn't have ultrasound to destroy it, so he just punched you. He punched you repeatedly. <laughs> they, kept me, they kept an IV in me in my cabin. They kept me going with a free-flowing IV of morphine until we got to Pepeque, Tahiti, where I visited the island's one urologist. And they, fi- they changed your IV and filled it with Tahiti treat? And then I got medically evacuated to New Zealand where they took care of it. That is some bad kidney stones. Wow. Uh, So, okay, so we're back at the story where this girl has appendicitis. She's now sterile, and they go to the cruise line and say, your doctor screwed this up. And the response is, in this case, the cruise line repeatedly quotes the terms of their passenger ticket that apply to medical services received on the ship. Quote, which voice are you going to do? I'll do Bane. Oh, (laughs) nice. Do it. Bane is a, a cruise ship line spokesperson. I love it. Fitting. He is not and shall not be considered in any respect whatsoever as the employee, servant, or agent of the carrier, and the carrier shall not be liable. I think the, I think Princess Cruise Lines should actually employ Bane. That that made that sound so much less, you know, ominous than I thought it was going to. It was also much easier to understand than the. Than Can you do Bane man. as a cruise director? <laughs> the cruise line only has an obligation to ensure the doctor is properly licensed to perform medicine. A Supreme Court of Florida judge ruled in 2006 that the cruise line was not responsible because a long line of precedence supports the view that a ship owner may not be held vicariously liable for the medical negligence of its shipboard doctor. This decision was reversed by Florida's Third District Court of Appeal. They ruled that while this had been the accepted logic in years gone by, the times they are a-changing. <laughs> 
and the ship had duty to provide medical services for the passengers and crew. While the presence of an onboard physician is not required by law, the practical realities of the competitive cruise industry and the reasonably anticipated risks of taking a small city of people to sea for days at a time all but dictate a doctor's presence. Right. So be aware that the cruise ship doctor may not work for the cruise line and has no obligation at all to perform services with any reasonable level of expertise. Yeah, read your fine print and realize that these guys are going to be out in waters where, you know, they barely even have to follow that. This common cruise line policy also applies to the onboard nurses and beauty technicians. I I don't think there's much of a chance that a beauty technician is going to make you permanently sterile, though. My face, my beautiful face. She filed my nails right down to my uterus. (laughs) That's a very unhappy ending. (laughs) That's a funny way to pronounce cuticle, Torn. Oh. Uh, In the news. I would have joined in, but I had a mouthful of water. (laughs) Seawater. July 2013. Five sentenced in Costa Concordia wreck. A lot of people who are listening to this probably remember, just a few years ago, there was this um, cruise ship, uh, this Italian cruise ship. Oh, yep, an Italian cruise ship owned by Carnival Cruise Lines. Called the Costa Concordia that ran aground on some rocks mm-hmm. and like tore a big hole in the hull. And it became uh, a big national, uh, international sensation story because the captain basically was the first guy off the ship. Yep. And the Coast Guard, who were trying to help people off the ship, told the captain to get back on the ship and start directing traffic. And he said, screw you. I'm not getting back on that death trap. And he like, you know, <laughs> fled the scene. Well, this just wasn't the first time that a captain left a vessel before everybody else. Uh, the Oceanus. Uh, that has happened in the Oceanus off of South Africa. Okay. Okay. In 1991. Mm-hmm. Where Supposed to be beautiful coastline in that area of the world. The ship was getting swamped by severe seas and started sinking. The captain and all his senior officers disembarked the vessel on a lifeboat, basically leaving the ship's trombone player oh, to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... No, he started leading them in a march, like, bam, 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 follow me, folks! To <laughs> organize <laughs> the evacuation of the vessel. It was, like, the crew staff and the band that organized the evacuation of this sinking vessel in storm seas. Right. Oh, okay. well, I, can, I mean, the band does have all the, uh, you know, they've got the PA or whatever, so it's like, all right, cruise ship people! Are you ready to evacuate? <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> the best no, part. Get out of the water. We can't hear you. The best part of this story is that <laughs> Greek captain used the same excuse as the Concordia captain oh, did. Well, death trap. I am supervising the emergency debarkation of the vessel from the sea. Uh huh. Yes. Of course, nobody's <laughs> buying it because uh, the big famous quote from the Costa Concordia case, of course, is that cruise ship captain, like literally screaming into the radio, saying, "Get back to your ship and lead this evacuation." Uh, so, of course, uh, Italian authorities decided that they were going to press charges uh, for negligence because 32 people died in this incident. Um, four Costa Concordia crew members and a company official were officially sentenced to jail in Italy. Only Captain Francesco Schettino is still on trial. The five received sentences of between 18 to 34 months for multiple manslaughter, negligence, and shipwreck. 34 months. Relatively short punishments for the crimes in exchange for pleading guilty. None of the five are likely to be jailed as the sentences of under two years were suspended and the longer ones may be appealed or replaced with community service. That seems light. Uh, Scatino 52 remains on trial for manslaughter and causing the loss of a ship. Uh, He's also seeking a plea bargain to reduce a possible jail sentence. His lawyers offered to accept a sentence of three years, five months in return for a guilty plea. I, you know what? When you do something and you're deemed to be criminally negligent, getting three years for 32 deaths, 
It was a bit light to me. Welcome to Italy. Yeah. Oh, yeah? They go to a Briscoloni bunga bunga party after he gets out of jail. <laughs> bunga bunga. <laughs> I do like the term bunga bunga. Uh, July 2013, Coast Guard warns cruise ships to slow for whales. Okay. This is going to be an issue near and dear to your heart, isn't there, Torn? I used to be a whale. <laughs> the U.S. Coast Guard is asking large ships to slow down in hopes of avoiding fatal collisions with whales. The Coast Guard's message, broadcast over Marine Band Radio, asks heavy vessels, including tankers, container, and cruise ships, to approach and exit San Francisco Bay at no more than 10 knots, about half their normal speed. The slowdown is intended to reduce ship strikes on endangered blue and humpback whales. Authorities requested the message after biologists stationed in southeast Farallon Island, 30 miles outside the Golden Gate, counted a remarkable concentration of whales in late June. There's, well, what voice should my, my, my scientist be? Does the scientist ever say, Captain, there be whales here! <laughs> Like from Star Trek Four. Well, it would no, be good I'll... because that would be close to every one of his accents. I do. I, I will do a Scottish. That's a great idea. Okay. Not just Scottish. Pixar Scottish. <clears throat> there is food everywhere. Referring to an abundance of krill, tiny shrimp-like crustaceans that form the cornerstone of the marine food chain. Blue whales, the largest animals on the planet, feed almost entirely on half-inch-long krill that live in massive swarms. <laughs> the Leviathans are of concern to scientists because their Northeast Pacific population of about 2,000 has not rebounded in the 43 years since commercial whaling ended in the United States. So they got to take every precaution they can to, like... Keep every last one of the things. Mm -hmm. Leave no whale behind. A handful of whale ship collisions are reported every year, but scientists say the mortality rate is likely much higher because most dead whales will sink and their deaths will never be recorded. In fact, a link through the Cruise Brewers site will take you to whalestrikes.com. Oh. Where it actually where lists the whales go on strike for bad employment policy. <laughs> policy. I don't think whales are organized enough. They're, 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 it's pods. Well, we got to change that. Uh-huh. And 1997 and 1998 were the two worst years on record for whale strikes, with 19 and 20 in those years, respectively. Being a uh, Vancouver local, I don't know if any of our international listeners are aware of this, but uh, there was a famous case about a year and a half ago, or no, probably closer to two years ago, where a cruise ship was coming into Vancouver Harbor, and it was pointed out that they had a whale stuck on the bow of their ship that they what? hadn't realized. What? Until How they... do you not realize when you have a nail on the... Oh, we thought it was the figurehead mast thing that's on the front of old-timey boats. I guess when you have these massive ships, you can hit a whale and not even notice it. That You just keep barreling on. And so, yeah, they literally pulled into Vancouver Port with a whale stuck to the front of their ship. Wow. The we can probably I... find an image for this. The one I saw was a minky, and minkies aren't big. Stinky minkies are not big whales. Stinky minkies? Oh, well, the Vancouver one that I'm talking about... That's there it I is. Saw. That is the one that we're talking about. So we'll obviously put this image. There's, you can see the whole ship in that right there with the whale yep. on the front. Oh, yeah. Princess. So we'll put that one on uh, the website, causticsodapodcast.com, so you can check this impaled God. whale. Uh, but, yeah, it's relatively small to the size of the ship, so they, they didn't even notice it. They kind of – Yeah, I guess you can see because even if you look over the front of the bow of the ship, you can't see down there yeah. around underneath. I guarantee you the, the captain – and his officers were really upset because that, the drag that whale created would cut into their fuel-saving bonus. Oh, there you go. Oh. Fuel-saving oh. bonus? Tell me more. So, ships have stabilizers in rough seas. Uh -huh. But stabilizers create drag and eat more fuel. Ships' captains get bonuses and the, and the senior officers for saving fuel. And of course. That's an incentivize them to not But it's not fuel. like a taxi. You're not tooling around as fast as you can on a cruise. They'll go full speed. They need to make their ports on certain times. But they balance speed and fuel consumption. Okay. okay. 
That's why science. I have no problem leaving somebody behind. I've seen passengers running for the pier, and the captain go, pull away. Yeah. And you see the passengers just sit there as their ship. Just like waiting for the bus in Vancouver. Well, this might actually, I have one last news story that I wanted to do. This is in the recent news, July 2007, a cruise ship based out of uh, Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, the P&O Pacific Star left Auckland with 1,160 passengers on July 10th, 2007 for an eight-day cruise. An eight-day cruise. An uh, eight-day cruise. Evidently, P&O as a company does not make use of the National Weather Service to predict se- severe weather. Instead... <laughs> they just slice open a goat. <laughs> yeah, read entrails. <laughs> or I think maybe they just look at their calendar and know that we got to be in a certain place at a certain time and damn the torpedoes, Right. Because this ship steered straight into a severe storm, seemingly without any forethought whatsoever. What's a storm ever done to a ship? (laughs) Well, this ship was battered by 50-knot winds with gusts up to 70 knots and 30-foot waves. Though windows, satellite equipment, and external doors were smashed and the bow of the ship was crushed, the cruise line maintains the passengers were never in danger. Passengers were lying on the decks in restaurants. Except from in danger of having too much fun. (laughs) Well, uh, I don't know how much fun they were having because most of them were lying on the decks in the restaurants, hallways, stairwells, and other public areas, unable to get up due to motion sickness. And the toilets overflowed with sewage due to the listing and (laughs) shaking. You can imagine, Mm -hmm. yeah, you can imagine that sewage storage just going back and forth in those pipes. I was on two cruise ships and two hurricanes. One really famous hurricane. I was on the Carnival Ecstasy during Katrina. Oh. And I was on the Enchantment of the Seas during Hurricane Wilma. Wilma! Uh, We were on the outskirts of the storm, obviously, Mm -hmm. but pretty big listing ship. Come out of the water, slam back down. Oh, the whole God. ship would vibrate. Oh, good Lord. As the anchors slammed the side of the ship. Ooh. Clang. People puking everywhere. Clang. Although this particular ship was able to sail, she dumped her 1,160 passengers on the tiny island island of Vanatu. I love Vanatu. And Vanatu. headed with crew to dry dock under her own steam. So she could still sail. She could still sail well enough to get back to dry dock, but instead decided to leave all of her other passengers stranded. The on ship Vanatu. wasn't safe for passenger travel, but they, they have to get the ship back to dry dock. All right. Uh, the bow was replaced in Vila before the ship sailed to Brisbane without passengers for a thorough inspection. Adding insult to injury, during this voyage from hell, the ship showed the feature film Titanic. Oh, nice. One <laughs> in the side adventure. <laughs> shouldn't those be banned to show on cruise ships? Like, shouldn't it not be allowed? Especially when you're sailing into a storm. Oh, so that romantic. Is, like, so romantic. <laughs> oh, really? The romance trumps the horror? Oh, yeah. Terrifying you know it's going to get bad before you hear the weather report when you start seeing the housekeeping staff taping a puke bag full of other puke bags in every stairwell and doorway. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I honestly think in this particular case that I think they'd put on Titanic ironically. Like, hey, look. It's not so bad. You could have worse, right? I'm not sinking. the ship hasn't broken in yeah, half. I, cre- half and- I worked on a P&O vessel, and I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> They're a bunch of assholes? I will neither confirm or deny that. Also owned by Carnival. Oh, well, yes. Does Carnival own every single cruise line in the They're world? They're the largest owner of cruise lines. All right, okay. Well, I'm not talking about Titanic, but I would Good. like to talk about the TV series Love Boat. Mm-hmm. I did really like Love Boat back oh, in the man. day. Do you remember so the like Love Boat uh, Fantasy Island doubleheader? Oh yeah. Oh well, they were back to back in the uh, yeah. But there's in the a crossover lineup. too. That mm-hmm. was that was family TV night that night when I was growing up. 
Family TV night was Love Boat and Fantasy Island. Yep, same here. That was a princess cruise, right? It was a princess ship. What if that was like massive product placement thing? Like it was product placement. Basically paid for the whole show just to uh, you know get their name out there and stuff I like that. I bet you they got a lot of business because of that show, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it was filmed on the Pacific Princess and one mm-hmm. other vessel. I, you know what I never really understood? Like The ship's doctor, never. the guy with the glasses, never seemed to do anything. That's he's, common of ship's doctors. <laughs> he slept with lots and lots it's of women. So <laughs> truthful. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's lots of sleeping with passengers on that ship. Oh, well, it is called the love boat. I mean, if you went on the love boat and didn't get laid, like you'd be like, false advertising, I'm suing! Joe, do you have a movie you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, I subjected myself to Speed 2 Cruise Control. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I saw this in the theater. Yeah, so did I. Oh, uh, wow. Well, uh, at the time, I was still a Jason Patrick fan, and I went... I don't know why. He's an upgrade over Keanu Reeves. He has to be, right? Nope. Well, there are only really three flaws to Speed 2 Cruise Control. The beginning, the middle, and the end? The, the <laughs> writing, the directing, and the acting. Okay, right. That's it. That's the only flaws. Uh, it's the 1997 sequel to 1994's smash hit Speed. Uh, Annie and Alex, a young couple, take a vacation in the Caribbean aboard a luxury cruise ship, which is hijacked by a villain named Geiger, who hacks into the ship's computer system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Annie and Alex work with the ship's first officer to try to stop the ship, uh, played by uh, Django Fett. Sorry, what? Uh, the ship's first officer was played by Django Fett. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, which they discover is programmed to cruise into an oil tanker. The film's final scene, where the ship crashes into the island of St. Martin, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. cost almost one quarter of the film's $110 million budget and set records as the largest and most expensive stunt ever filmed. Wow. They spent $5 million literally building an extension to an actual town so they could smash a cruise ship into it. Wow. It was an impressive crash. It, it was pretty good, but really, like, a lot of the shots seemed kind of close up, and I was like, you could have done that cheaper. Like, mm-hmm. it... It was not 20-something million dollars impressive. Like, I, I watched it, I saw it last night, actually, and just went, really? 25 and million You know what the that? funny thing is? It's not in the days even before impressive CGI, like, because Jurassic Park was right around the corner. Like, they probably could have done it between, like, CGI and They did, and, and actually whatnot. they estimated doing it all CG would, at that time, would have cost $500 million. <laughs> It was nominated for eight Golden Raspberry Awards and won the award for Worst Remake or Sequel. And it is listed on many lists of the worst sequels ever made. So the ship in the movie is is another cruise line owned by Carnival Cruise Lines called the Yachts of Seabourn, which are really small vessels that are very yachty. Mm -hmm. Okay. High end. (laughs) But yeah, so Carnival is responsible partially for Speed 2. Right. Who, who Who played Geiger, the villain? Uh, Willem Dafoe, oh. and he chews even when he's out in like on the ocean, and there's no scenery to chew. He's chewing the scenery. <laughs> like, I, he's he, chewing the horizon. Was it like Green Goblin chewing the scenery? Yeah, yeah. It's it is a. Really, it was pretty cartoony. Actually, the reason for it is the director had a dream, a nightmare, where a cruise ship smashed into an island. He it was oh a my. recurring oh, nightmare. Oh, I see. And he said, "Oh, I've got to tell this story." <laughs> nice. Ah, okay. Is that true? It's My stuff conscious makes great movie choices. <laughs> it, it is not a good movie, unlike The Imposters. I love The Imposters. I know you do. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> With Stanley Tucci and Oliver Platt. Screwball comedy homage mm-hmm. to the to like the forties and fifties. That was the first movie where I think I uh um I appreciated Hope Davis. Like I'd sort of been aware of her existence before. I watched that movie. I'm like, oh, she's really good in that movie. Tony Shalhoub. 
Oh, Alfred yeah. Molina, the great Alfred Molina, also known as Doc Ock, and the guy from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And from Sorry. Boogie Nights, the crazy drug dealer who uh, has <laughs> yes. the little like, boy yes. toy setting off firecrackers. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone on this in the show, except for the main characters, and even them a little bit, are kind of like caricatures of yeah. like uh, you know Lily archetypes. Oh, Isabella uh, Rossellini? Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's so beautiful. And oh, I it's absolutely recommend. So, Steve Buscemi has a bunch Steve of Buscemi. scenes that are like really <laughs> outstanding. I need to watch this movie yeah. again. I had this on VHS for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the basic premise is there's these two actors and they're out of work. So the first, like, not quite half of the movie, but a large chunk of the movie is them just trying to find work and they get tickets for free to this other actor's play and this other actor played by, played by Alfred Molina is like a drunk and he, and he slashes one of the actors in this play. But he's very powerful and, and uh, famous. And, yeah. World-renowned. Like, yes, he's world-renowned. So Alfred Molina goes to a bar where he overhears them talking trash about him. He starts this big chase scene. Uh-huh. They end up on the boat. They all go on this cruise ship. That's basically the rest of the movie. Yeah. Hijinks. Oh, so many hijinks. The plot of this movie, it felt to me like very Marx Brothers. Yeah. Right? It's, it's delightful. Yeah. Oh, now I want to see it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great film. It's, it's a okay. great little film. It, it's actually kind of shot because it's it's shot. It's period too. Like it's yeah. almost made like a Marx Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if somebody were to tell me that the the script for that film was like a lost Marx Brothers script that went unproduced and they just like picked it up and you know made it, it wouldn't surprise me, right? There are so many just funny little like each scene is its own little gem. Yeah, and I don't really want to talk about any of them because they're all so good. Okay, and uh, you should just see the movie. Thing is, Oliver Platt does a lot of like sort of semi-comedic roles. Like he's kind of he gets hired to do that. But this was one of those movies where you got to see Stanley Tucci's comedy more than you <laughs> ever would in anything else that he's done, right? Because he directed go, it. Yeah, and you go like, hey, you know what? Stanley Tucci actually has comedy in his in his toolkit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I've seen the Poseidon Adventure, the original, but I never saw the Poseidon, the remake. Whoa, there was a remake? When did this happen? Three two, years ago? Two, three years ago, maybe? Yeah. And who was in it? Poseidon, 2006. Oh, so it's, it's oh. Oh, Wolfgang, Wolfgang Peterson. Peterson. Jesus. Yeah. And the star was Josh Lucas. So did anybody see the remake? I, I didn't even the know remake. it existed. All right. So Poseidon, the Poseidon Adventure seems like one of those movies that actually could be served well by a remake because the reason you remake things is if it's now possible to do things that you couldn't have done in the time when the original right. was made. So the original was shot back in the 70s, yep. right? So you'd think with all of our CGI and special effects and all the things that we can accomplish today that a boat turning completely upside down and stranding its passengers underwater, in effect, then they're trying to get to the bottom of the boat because that's now the top of the boat. Mm-hmm. You'd think that in the new day and age, that would be an improvement. We'd be able to accomplish it. So what did they do wrong in the remake? The physical effects in the original really gave to it this kind of claustrophobia. Right, because it's not CGI. They actually like built sets and like had... Because, of course, again, the plot of the movie is the, a giant wave hits this ship, which actually capsizes it. But there's still air trapped in the thing, so they can breathe. But the ship is physically upside down. And the bottom of the ship is now floating above water surface, right? Mm -hmm. They actually, in the original, they had to, like, build physical sets that look like a cruise ship. But they were all upside down. So they're, like, you know, walking where the chandeliers are. And, like, everything's upside down. And then when they get into the belly of the ship, they have to, like, climb, you know, throw these girders to get to... You know, the engine works that are all hanging upside down. So all very impressive giant set pieces. The Mm -hmm. Simpsons 
his take on this is really good as well. Yeah. Well, the same characters in the 70s film played by Simpsons, Simpsons characters. characters. Oh, yeah. it's like an episode? Yeah. All right, okay. All right. So what, uh, again, what did the uh, remake not get right? Acting, directing. Oh, uh, beginning, the, middle, and all end. All the basics. Yeah, be, yeah. beginning, middle, and end. It was really a bad film. I was just disappointed that Poseidon never showed up. you think that like a name with Poseidon Adventure would be like Clash of the Titans. <laughs> yeah. And by this right. point, Richard Dreyfus chews up scenery. On a giant seahorse with a trident? Yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. yeah let's Poseidon re- Adventure. Let's remake that one. I want more adventure. Uh-huh. And you could and totally, more Poseidon. And you could totally capitalize on the fame of the original. Just call it the Poseidon Adventure and damn the lawyers, right? Make it entirely it's just you and me in the backyard with a trident and then like seahorse stuffed seahorse. It'd be some krakens, it'd be some fleeces. <laughs> It'll all be there. Film a kraken. Please. <laughs> I've been waiting. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while struggling in a crocodile death roll. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Question is, Joe, does James Cameron want to marry you? Um, probably not. Uh-huh. I'm probably the antithesis of what he likes, and I don't <laughs> mean male. I mean uh, he demands hard work and uh, <laughs> <laughs> dedication. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Uh, wow.